what would you want to say to the church about consistent and sacrificial giving and its importance? I've always thought that you know, if, you, if it costs you nothing, it has no value. And I think that we've got to realize that, that we are on a mission to lead people into a growing relationship, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so we can't do that. It cannot be done. It's impossible without the funds to do that. We've got to look out. Is, are there people out there in the world that are worthy of the salvation that I experience? Or am I just going to ignore that fact and let everybody else take, take my responsibility? Well, that really should be in a person's budget in my estimation. I believe the Bible says this, that that should be the number one thing that you should consider in a budget. I mean, everything that we do, regardless of whether it's in marriage or, or relationships one with another, we've got to make a decision to do what God calls us to do. And it's, it isn't always going to be easy. I mean, it isn't, it isn't going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be very difficult. You've got to invest whatever God has blessed you with in order to achieve what God has commissioned us to do. I think we all want to make our fathers happy. And um, that includes, I mean, I certainly want to make him happy. Uh, I want to please him. It would be devastating to me if my children didn't want to share what I had given them with one of my other children and I think that's the way God looks at it um, you know really he doesn't need the money he really needs giving hearts and you know that, that's I think he looks down on us and I want him to look down on me and say that he was pleased with the generosity that I gave the only time God says test me is when he said to Malachi you know Give me the tithe and see what happens. And I've, I've experienced that. Y'all know some ways I've experienced it, but I've experienced it in many more, more times and still continue to experience that. I'm retired and I'm taken care of, not because of what I did, because God takes care of me. And we've always given as we should. And I'm a witness. I guarantee you, if you're struggling, give it to God and He will, he will pour it. Like I said, open the floodgates of heaven come down on your life and not only financially but other ways too I think as a disciple that's a place where we can show some discipline in our life in, in the way that we handle our money I, I remember when Janet and I became a Christian um, our budget was slammed I mean we, we were living the way the world lives and, and you know we made the commitment that we would start somewhere and you know I think that goes back to our, our mission statement when you're working on that growing relationship with Jesus that, you know, we started where we were and then at, by being disciplined and, and um, making conscious decisions in the way that we handled our money, um, it led us closer to the point where we felt like we were given as, as the Lord had, had wanted us to. Amen. It's good to hear our shepherds uh, share their hearts. I want you to know this morning that we today are open for God's business. Amen? You know, all of us have survived the great blizzard of 2014. And, uh, you know, I know some of you from the north make fun of us, but my goodness, we had two inches. What are we supposed to do? 
Uh, I made the, uh, I broke the law and got out Wednesday and drove around. I, I tried to keep with the 25-hour speed limit our good mayor had told us. But it was amazing to see this whole city pretty much closed down. And um, sometimes that happens. But here's the good thing about being a part of this church today is we are definitely open for God's business now, when you think about all the things that are going on, when you see Bill Bates up here and you think about Mission Sunday next Sunday, I mean, that is so incredible what we're about to experience on Mission Sunday. And, um, you know, you see a family like this that said yes, and, and here's our challenge on Mission Sunday, is for us to say yes to this partnership that we can be a part of. I'm so excited about what we're going to do next Sunday. And then you think about today as we kick off our small groups. I mean, you've got all kinds of inserts in your bulletin about Mission Sunday. Mark showed you the one with a listing of small groups. And this one's not even complete. I know Brother Dale Horn's group is not listed on here. There are other groups that will be forming the next few weeks. You've got an opportunity to find a place where you can build real spiritual friendships. And we encourage you to absolutely do that. And then you think about today being the last day to sign up for men's and women's retreats. These are going to be awesome. I mean, next Sunday we'll have our men's retreat speaker, Rick Ashley, speaking here. And men, if you don't go to the retreat, you're going to sit there and you're going to think, my goodness, I should have gone to hear that man. So let me spare you the pain from next Sunday, all right, and tell you to go ahead and sign up today. You, you will not regret. You know what? If you don't go fishing or golfing, you're making less than a 24-hour commitment to go hear God's Word and to be in great fellowship with some other men. So I challenge you, go ahead and sign up today, and that's going to be a great time together. Let's pray as we get, we get started this morning. God, thank you for everything you're doing. God, thank you that your kingdom is always open for business, Lord, and that you are working among us. Lord, there's so much going on in this church right now, it's almost hard to keep up with. But Lord, I pray for each one of us that you will lead us to participate in what you want us to participate in. We pray, Father, today for the beginning of small groups, whether someone goes to a life group or an ABC group, God, or a support group or a service group, that everybody in this church will find that place to serve and to build spiritual friendships, God. Lord, just bless next Sunday. Open the floodgates, Lord of heaven, and bless us as we seek to bless this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we get to a point in the book of Colossians where Paul is wanting to get across that he wants the people to experience the real thing. You, you see, they're tempted to settle in for some cheap substitutes, and Paul wants them to have the real thing. You ever made the mistake, maybe, of not drinking the real thing? Maybe you go to, you know, the grocery store and check colas on sale for 79 cent a two liter. Then you think, man, I just, I, I, man, 79 cent and this is a dollar 99. And you take your check cola home and the moment you drink it, you think, oh my goodness, this is not the real thing. <laughs> I, I made a mistake here. This is a cheap substitute. Or maybe you're trying to be healthy beginning of this new year and, and you love bacon with your eggs. And so, okay, you buy some trying to keep Paul engaged in the sermon, all right? All right. I mean, you buy, you buy some turkey bacon. You ever, you ever tried that stuff? Sarah, you, you like cardboard? Okay. And, and you eat a piece of it, and, and here's the mistake I make. I keep eating more thinking it's going to get better. How about you? 
It's just a cheap substitute. And that's what Paul is afraid of with the church there. They are falling for some cheap substitutes, and they're keeping on piling it on more and more, thinking eventually it's going to taste good and help them, and it doesn't. I mean, look up on the screen. Don't fall for cheap substitutes. Here's some of the ones they were falling for. That Christianity is just ritual. That it's just going through motions. You can see this going throughout the whole outline. The Christianity is just emotions. It's just a bunch of feelings. Every once in a while we get high, and then we get low, and then we get high. Or here's a big one. Christianity is just a bunch of rules. I mean, if I could just give you the do's and the don'ts, if you could just understand the commandments, that you're going to be okay. And they, you know, here's the problem with these cheap substitutes. And we've all tried this, haven't we? You try just keeping the rules and it doesn't work. And so you just pile on some more rules and think maybe that'll do it. Or maybe you, you had those, those spiritual moments that were so full of emotions and you think if I could just create those emotional moments over and over, then maybe I'd feel close to God. And, and so you keep piling it on. And the truth is there's the law of diminishing return. And these cheap substitutes don't work. Now, here's what I love about the, the verses we're going to read. They are as up to the minute about our life as the news feed on the bottom of your TV screen. Though this book was written 2,000 years ago, it could have been written today. Because you see those things, not only those, the very things that we fall for, those are the very things that people who don't follow Jesus say is the problem with us. That you guys are just into to meaningless ritual. You're just emotionally stilted people who need this as a crutch to fall on. And all Christianity is going to do is add a bunch of rules to my life. And Paul's going to address that head on. So let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, and listen to how real this is. Therefore, Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. There's a lot of judging going on in this church. And there are people that are saying, okay, you're a Christian, but on top of being a Christian, I mean, God gave this Old Testament, and you got all these dietary rules, and you need to be keeping those. And it's not enough just to have Jesus. You need to go back, and you need to do these things. And so there's all kinds of food that becomes kosher and food that is off-limits. That's fascinating. There's a movement among Christians today that says the same thing. Oh, yes, it's cool that you got Jesus, but you need to go back and keep all. Don't don't be eating. Don't be eating catfish. And you better stay away from pork. And, and, And you'll just be a whole lot more spiritual if you will keep these these laws. Forgetting that Jesus said, quite literally, everything you eat's okay because the truth is it's just going to go out the latrine. That's really what he says. And that Peter is convinced after a vision that everything's clean. And that Paul says in the book of Romans, you know, if you want to eat this or not eat this, or you want to keep this Jewish festival or not keep this festival, I don't really care. Just leave it out of the church. 
Don't be bugging somebody about something that no longer really counts. And I see Christians today that are falling to a spill that says, oh, if you really want to be spiritual, then you need to go back and keep this too. And if anything Paul's playing about is that's useless. Keep reading. Here's what he says about it. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul says, you guys are living in the shadow land. Now, now write this down in your outline. Paul is giving us, teaching us freedom from the shadows. You see, guys, it's not that these things were bad, but it's just that they were a shadow. All the dietary laws were simply to tell us what God wanted in the long run was for us to truly be pure. All the sacrificial laws were just a shadow of what was going to happen on the cross. All the rules were just a shadow of the reality that we could have a relationship with Jesus. He says, you guys are, you fall, you're falling for the shadows. Can you imagine, maybe it's afternoon and the sun's blazing, you know, and you're walking across a park and your shadow is cast across the park. And a friend of you sees you and comes running across the park and they go to hug your shadow. You go, you miss me. And Paul's saying here, you're missing Jesus. You're hugging the shadow when you could be hugging Jesus. Don't fall for the things that are just a shadow of the reality. Don't fall for just ritual. You see, the Jewish religion had become very ritualistic. You do this and you don't do this. You do this in this way. And if you don't do it exactly correctly, and the problem with rituals is not that they're sinful. It's that they become meaningless. How many of you grew up in a church where you had three songs, a prayer, a song, the Lord's Supper, a song, the message, a song, and the closing prayer? Raise your hand. Is there anything wrong with that ritual? No, but there's something wrong when it becomes meaningless. And anytime you just do something to do something, anytime you're just simply going through the ritual motions, it begins to be dangerous. Now, we could easily today say, well, that's just their problem. Of course, we're not going back to the Jewish laws. But let's be honest. We're all tempted to make the ritual the reality. For instance, in just taking the Lord's Supper. Man, I like what brother, our brother said to us this morning. Man, that's the center of what we do. But we've all known people that it became more important to get in for the ritual than to experience the reality. We've, I've, I've known people that they didn't care what time they came to service. They didn't care if they got here late or they left early. As long as they took the Lord's Supper, Right? That's why they hate churches like this that change the Lord's Supper times, all right? They just can't stand it. Or, or I've known people, is they didn't have to come to church. Not where the Lord's Supper was supposed to be taken within a body. As long as I got my little individual communion over here in at some point on Sunday, I'm okay. And all of us, guys, this can become more of a ritual than a reality. That this is just what we do every Sunday. And we forget the reality is this is where we commune with each other and we commune with Jesus Christ. That this is not just some meaningless motions and ritual. That it's the reality of who he is and who we are. So how do you avoid just living in the shadows? You embrace your reality in Christ. You see, that's what he's been trying to to say to us to this point in the book of Colossians. 
Man, you've been made alive in Christ. You've been resurrected with Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Embrace this reality in Christ. And you don't have to base your religion on just going through the right rituals at the right time. There's more to it than that. Well, let's keep going. Look at verse, um, verse 18 with me. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are pulled up, puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Paul says this is dangerous. They're trying to throw you out of the race. They're throwing the penalty flag and saying, you're disqualified. Now, here's, here's the deal here. These people are getting into the worship of angels. Now, th- this makes a little sense. Sometimes God is intimidating. And you think, you know, I- I'm not worthy to go directly to God. So, so let me find an intermediary that will help me get to God. And angels seem really neat. It's pretty interesting how angels have come back in style over the last few decades. Have you noticed that? Everything from a wonderful life to touched by an angels to people today who say, well, you know, I've got my personal angel that looks over me. Pretty fascinating that we would embrace angels. Obviously, we've not read the Old Testament. Because angels are not always that sweet in the Old Testament. Genesis 19, they destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. 2 Samuel chapter 24, they wipe out 70,000 of God's people. 2 Kings 18, they kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. So be careful before you get all cutesy about your nice little sweet personal angel. Angels can be vicious. But here's the deal in Colossae. They believe that their angel is going to be their way to God. They certainly don't think they can go directly to God, so they've got to go through an angel. And what's even worse is these experiences. They also believe they're having visions. Now, I know people in the Bible had visions. I'm not denying someone couldn't have a vision. But what's happened is these spiritual experiences have led them to the deadly sin of all, which is what? Pride. And any time I have a little experience over here that I don't think you've had, I tend to, you know, I know you guys still go to church, but I worship angels, poor little people. You still just read your Bible, but God just directly tells me what to do. You're, you're tempted to become puffed up and become arrogant. And it not only will destroy you, it will destroy the body of Christ. So here's what Paul says. God wants to give you freedom from mysticism. Christianity is not simply a bunch of religion, a bunch of emotions. Think think about this, guys. We're all tempted because we love emotional moments. I don't know about you, but I do. But we're all sort of tempted to live from one emotional moment to the next. And so I, I create this emotion, and then I feel a little dead, so I create another emotion Guys, emotions are good, but they're not the foundation of your faith. Experiences are cool, but they're not the foundation of who you are. How do we overcome this? We stay connected to the head and the body. Are you getting this point in Colossians? 
There is no substitute for a relationship with Jesus. You don't need anybody or anything to come between you and Jesus Christ. You don't have to have some special beads. You don't have to have your special angel. You don't have to have a spiritual guru. You don't have to go through a priest. You've got direct access. There's a billboard outside of MetLife Stadium for this year's Super Bowl. It was bought by the American Atheist Association. And here's what it says. Hail Marys are only good in football. And maybe they got somewhat of a point. But I'm telling you, hell, Jesus is good in every moment of your life. When the emotions fail and you're not having the super cool spiritual experience, having that relationship with Jesus is what is going to what is going to sustain you. Listen, beware of any kind of religion that cuts you off from direct access to Jesus Christ, who is the head. And beware of any sense of spirituality that says, you know what? Not only do I not need this direct, I said, I, I, don't, I don't really need the body of Christ. I see this happen too often. Someone has some kind of cool ex- spiritual experience and they think, you know what? I'm beyond church. I'm beyond the body of Christ. I mean, those poor people, they're just still back there just reading their Bible and trying to live for God. Man, if they were like me, man, they'd be on this. Listen to me. You get disconnected from the head, you're in big trouble. You start disconnecting yourself in an arrogant way from the body of Christ. You see, because what what is spirituality supposed to lead you to? It's supposed to lead you to the fruit of the Spirit. It's supposed to lead you not to divorcing yourself from people and isolating yourself from people who've got problems. It's supposed to equip you to be the one to go out there and care for people and love people. That's what real spirituality looks like. And yet these people in Colossae and many people today are tempted to think there's something else out there. We're always looking for something better than just Jesus. Some, some people I see, that they spend their life looking for something else. And Paul says it's right in front of you. What God wants for you is to stay connected with Jesus Christ. That's the key. And then keep reading. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to these rules do not handle do not taste do not touch these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings now listen to this such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, now, now pay close attention to what Paul's saying here. What's going on here? These people think the way to change is to add more rules. Many of them believe that the body is evil. You know, the body, the flesh is my problem. So what I need to do is treat my body, he says, harshly. 
You ever watch some of those um, those religious riots in the Middle East? It's not Christian people, but where the people walk through the streets. It's a religious festival with a whip beating themselves and bleeding. It's the same kind of idea. I'm trying to subjugate my body. Now, the scary thing is Christianity has had this own stream of it. By the Middle Ages, there were people who thought the body was so evil. If I'm going to be a spiritual person, what I need to do is deprive myself of food or deprive myself of sleep or go sleep on a hard bed or go through 10 years where I don't talk to someone or 20 years where I don't take a bath. These are not funny illustrations. These are real illustrations. Of people who've decided, you know, the way to spirituality is to subjugate this body so don't enjoy anything. It's amazing the Apostle Paul says God has given us all things to enjoy. So here we've got some people that are seeking through rules and regulations to somehow become spiritual. So Paul says, here's what I want you to have. I want you to have freedom from legalism. Christianity is more than just a bunch of rules. So many people today, they think if I became a Christian, here's the real issue, is there's just all this long list of do's and this even longer list of don'ts. You know, one of the great criticisms, actually valid criticism in America of churches is we're more known for what we're against than what we're for. And they look over at us and say, well, yeah, you're anti-this and anti-this and anti-this, and some of those things we ought to be anti. But that's become our identity. And they look at us as just being another rule-based religion. Now, let's do a little bit of work here. What is legalism? We use that word a lot. What is legalism? Legalism is the belief that you can earn the favor of God by your ability to understand and keep the law of God. Legalism is what one elder said to me years ago. You could get a hundred things right in the Bible and miss out on one theological issue and you'd go to hell. Your salvation is based on your ability to understand correctly and to live out perfectly the will of God. That's why legalism and grace are opposites. And Paul says, I want you to have freedom from legalism. You see, guys, sometimes we think, okay, I'm not living really good, and I can't get it together, and so the real way for me to change is I just need to add rules. And that's why we we know the history of Christians setting rules about playing cards, about watching movies, about dancing, about drinking, about smoking, about the, the, the list is endless. Now, Paul admits it looks good on the outside. But what Paul does say is it doesn't change you. Now, don't get me wrong here. Don't get Paul. Paul's not anti-rules. He's not anti-list. We're going to get to chapter 3 in a couple weeks, and he's going to give us a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. But what he is opposed to is thinking that rules are the basis of your salvation or that just more rules are the way that you are transformed. So how are we transformed? Let his love give you a new heart. The problem with just keeping rules is that you can conform the outside without a transformation of the inside. 
You, you, you can stop doing some things, but never be changed in what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? You see, what Jesus came to do was not just change your actions. He, cha- he came to change your want-tos. And that's why you, you notice this in all of Paul's writings, because we're about to make the shift in the next few weeks. In every book Paul writes, he first writes about the who Jesus is and the who we are in Christ before he ever gets to the what you ought to do. He never gives the list of you ought to add this and take this away until he first establishes this is what Jesus has done for you and this is who you've become in him because out of that you can have a changed heart which will lead to changed behavior. But if you start with the rules, you know what you're going to end up? You're going to end up either frustrated out of your mind or somehow you're going to figure that you actually could keep the rules and you're going to end up arrogant. And we've seen both of them in legalism, haven't we? Either you quit or you become snotty. And Paul says, my goodness, it has this cool appearance. Add more rules, man, we'll do better. But it doesn't change your heart. I've told this story too many times, but it, it just illustrates it better than any story I've come up with. This lady's married to this man. She's a stay-at-home mom. He's the working guy. He's the head of the house. And he's going to run every facet of her life. And so, um, after they've been married by about six months, he's finally come up with 25 things she's got to do every day. Load the dishwasher, unload the dishwasher, do any of the clothes. I mean, he's got a list. And every day when he comes home, he checks off the list. And she's miserable. Many of us have lived that way in Christianity, haven't we? Well, actually, sadly, to her blessing, he dies. And about six years later, she remarries. And now she marries a man that's quite different. She picks wisely. He loves her. He serves her. He cherishes her. And a few years after that, one night, she's, one day, she's up in the attic looking around some old stuff. And she comes in this old chest. And in the chest, she's looking through some old things. And she, to her horror, comes across the list of 25 rules from her first husband. And at first, she just, she just recalls from even seeing it and remembering what life was like that way. But then she took a moment to read the list, and here was the most awesome thing. She read through the list, and now she did every one of the 25 things because she wanted to. Because she had been changed by her second husband's love. My friends, that's where God wants you to get. He doesn't want to come into your life and barge in and just give you more rules. We've got enough rules. He wants to change your inside. He wants to change your want to. So it becomes natural to do those things. And guys, this is what makes Christianity so powerful. This is what makes our faith different than any faith on the globe. Somebody put it this way. This is so simple. Every other religion is do. Christianity is done. That's it. Christianity is that Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. Your salvation, as you've accepted him, is secure. The work is done. 
And because the work is done, you are motivated out of your mind to want to do. But it doesn't start with do, it starts with done. And that changes everything, my friends. So let me ask you a couple questions and we conclude here. As we look at this teaching, it's so real. Are you experiencing the real thing? I mean, are you really experiencing what God wants you to experience? The freedom, the joy in Christ? Or are you just still, maybe, maybe you're here at church today, but you're just going through the motions. You know it's the right thing to do, and you're checking it off, and, you know, in just a few minutes we'll be out of here. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just going through motions. Or, or, or maybe every once in a while you hit emotional high, but they're becoming less and less. Or maybe it's just a bunch of rules, and, and you're not doing better, and every time you're not doing better, you just throw on another rule. You just eat another piece of turkey bacon, thinking it's finally going to taste better. Because you you can keep on trying all of these things, and they're never going to lead you to life. And so today, man, I want to encourage you, beg you, why don't you go for the real thing? Why don't you accept this incredibly radical love, this message of grace that says, it's what Jesus has done for you. Everything you do is just a response to that. It's not to earn your salvation. It's not to make yourself righteous. He's already done the work. You've just been changed by his love. Many of us have grown up in religions and churches that are more like the very thing that Paul is trying to address here. And because of this, our faith has never been rich and joyful. And so I ask you today, would you experience something that's so much better than that? Why go try to hug a shadow when you could experience the real thing? And then the last thing I want to ask you is, do you want other people to experience this? I mean, once you've got this, you want it to go to somebody else. That's what's so exciting about Mission Sunday next Sunday. Guys, whether we're going to Turkey or China or Malawi or Tanzania, it really is incredible what God's doing. We've got a message that is radical. Because every other religion would fall under these three categories. They're just rituals, or they're just emotions, or they're just rules. But only Christianity says, there is a God who loved you so much, he came to live among us and die for us. Nobody else has that kind of God. And that's why we want to give sacrificially to be a part of that to partner in that, to say, yes, this is so good. We want everyone to experience it. And that's why we want you to get in a small group these next few weeks because it's in that sense of community and friendship where not only can you read it in God's Word, but you can experience it in a spiritual friendship that someone would treat you better than you deserve, that when you screw it up and you blow it, they're willing to forgive you. When you're unlovable, they're going to love you. And then when you get a little more healthy, you get to love somebody else in the name of the Lord. And you get to, to live out the theology of what we've talked about today in community. Listen to me. Any kind of spirituality that takes you away from people is not Christianity. 
So are you ready to experience and to share the real thing? If we could pray for you today, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, if this is the best news you've ever heard and you just can't stand there in front of that pew, you've got to do something today because you, you, you keep trying the same thing. You keep, you keep stuffing it down over and over again, thinking it's eventually going to taste better. Your life can eventually become better. You're, you're eventually going to enjoy being a Christian and enjoy, enjoy church. Listen, insanity is to keep doing the same things and expect different results. Don't be insane. Embrace the reality in Jesus Christ. Do it right now while we stand and sing.